You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some, it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome, listener, to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Matt, and joining me today is Nathan Van Horn. And once again, we are uh, missing out on the, uh, the creative input and content creator known as Gandalf Savage. He is not with us today. We're off and... to see the wizard. <laughs> That's right. You know, you know uh, what's funny is I have a, a friend in town who just started listening, and he he's you know joined the growing chorus of man. The episodes are always stronger uh, when Gandalf talks more. Like, and he, he even said it in a funny way. Like, man, I'm I'm so glad that Gandalf is there, so I don't feel like I need to be in the remedial Sunday school class. Um, you know, th- th- people say it all sorts of funny ways. So bad news, Gandalf's not here again. Uh, that's right. But you all can pray for him. He's getting over some illness. I think he's on the upward swing, but still not to where he needs to be doing a voice podcast today. But he is still intrinsically involved because he is still editing this. So his his handiwork will be evident in this. Uh, but want to welcome all the listeners to the Better Than Fiction Bible podcast as we move forward in our story today. Of course, this is only possible because... You all continue to listen, and you do that through liking and subscribing, hitting the plus mark, uh, doing whatever that positive interaction is to be a part of the show. And also want to say thank you again so much to the people who tell their friends about the program. Uh, I have new people every week that listen to the podcast. I meet people in town. People reach out to me on Facebook, and they say, hey, I'm enjoying the podcast. Thank you. All of those things are possible because of listeners just like you telling someone else about the podcast and the program. And we really appreciate that. Uh, So we, obviously, this is a group project. Um, It's a conversational podcast, but you're a part of that conversation and you extend it by asking other people to join in. Another way that you can be encouraging uh, uh, to us and also to be a part of this project is that I know many of you already do. But we would covet your prayers. Amen. Um, one of the things is that uh, Nathan and I are pastors. And first of all, Nathan and I believe very strongly that pastors are busy, but everyone else is busy too. Na- neither Nathan nor myself uh, believes that, you know, hey, we are the sole uh, recipients of a busy life and nobody else could possibly understand busyness other than a pastor. That's not true. Was it Carl? Um, was it Carl Jung who said busyness is not of the devil? Busyness is the devil. <laughs> that's that's it. And uh, one of the things about both Nathan and myself is we both love our jobs, and we both love being a pastor. I can't think of anything else I want to be. And Nathan, I'm sure that's true of you. Uh, uh, um, I I really don't have a lot of skills to fall back on. Like we've <laughs> we've done the aptitude test, and it's pastoring, which I do love, or like. Like comedian, but not like top tier comedian. Like think of like a carnival cruise ship, you know? Yeah, you could pull it off. I could see I, it. You know, during family yeah. hour or something like that. Yeah. But 
One of the things about a pastor's schedule that it shouldn't be a shocker to, to everyone out there is the unorthodox nature of a pastor's schedule is that um, there is such a thing as being on call all the time. Now, that doesn't mean you're always busy, but it does mean that you're always on call. So providing content for a weekly podcast can at times be challenging. And so uh, when navigating illnesses like Gandalf and others and just things, we're not, things happen. We're not lowballing. We're, the, not we're not lowballing the episode either. There's worthwhile content today. No, <laughs> that's right. There is worthwhile content. That's but great. It, Nathan mentioned beforehand, he's like, hey, do you think we could just ask people to pray for the podcast that God would bless our times and recording? And I thought it was a wonderful idea. So that is our attempt today is that pray that, pray that God blesses this and provides uh, opportunities for recording as we move forward. But today, amen, amen. we're going to be in Genesis 22, Nathan's oh. possibly favorite chapter in the Bible. At least the Old Testament. And <laughs> that's right. And so we're not going to look at the whole thing, but we're going to look at a good significant portion of it. Nathan, we're going to be reading from the ESV today. Uh, why don't you walk us through the passage, read it to us, and then touch on the big ideas that we're going to talk about today. Sure. I'll uh, read Genesis 22. How about I go through 19? Is that too far? Okay. 19. Gotcha. We talked about, and the reason is we talked about the main ideas that we want to discuss out of this passage and not exactly the length of the passage. So yeah, go through verse 19. Yeah. All right. Um, and as always, dear listeners, we are reading from the ESV, Genesis 22, 1 through 19. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son, laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, uh, and, excuse me, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abram built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on top of the altar, on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy and, or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, called the name of that place, uh, literally in Hebrew, Yahweh, Yireh, we get Jehovah Jireh from this, the Lord will provide. Uh, literally, the Lord will see to it. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. 
And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. Uh, or Beersheba, as y'all said last time. And again, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. You know what uh, I think about a little bit? This should be, Mel Gibson should make a movie about this. <laughs> like, this is like a very Mel Gibson movie-like. Oh. You know, the whole sacrificing your child. That's a, like, that's an intense topic, man. That's, that's intense. And it's, it's one of those, this is a divisive passage, right? Uh, because, right. you know, take, take your, your skeptic or your antagonistic skeptic, especially your anti-theistic person, this is a passage that they go to. They're like, man, how do you read past Genesis 22? Like, man, even if you get past God wiping out the wicked people in the flood in, in Genesis 6 through 9, here's God taking a guy who's faithfully followed him and builds altars to worship him and says, kill your son that you love, you know? Right. Um, I don't know. And, while on the other hand, for like the Judeo-Christian tradition, this is like one of the go-to passages for the goodness of God. Like, how, how, right. what, what an incredible disparity. God provides. God. This is the first time we see, the, you know. Yeah, this uh, is one. Yahweh Yireh. Yeah, uh, Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yireh. Um, and, and, and by the way, this is, um, again, following up uh, right after the Hagar-Ishmael thing about, uh, and this is why I brought it out, uh, the Lord will provide. It's literally the Lord will see to it. Uh, right. But it uses the covenant name. Uh, it's not just El Roi. It's not just the God who sees me. It's Yahweh, the Lord, will see to it. Uh, I love it that God will use his power to fulfill his covenant promises. And Matt, uh, I know we get flack, especially from my brother, for moving too slow, but I could camp out on this passage for two months. There are so <laughs> many so many things, uh, and I'm not going to do that here because I get Wednesday night Bible study to do it at Corinth. Um, but uh, that was supposed to be funny. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah. I, I was just going to, uh, you know, I don't live there, and I was going to say Corinth. Oh yeah, so. shame on me. I'm supposed to be local by now. Uh, it'll be ten months this <laughs> Sunday. Um, there you go. But uh, uh, so many things, like the fact that you know, I, I think of. Uh, again, one of the things we've talked about, and this is not something we mentioned discussing today, um, but we talked about how Abraham and his family are the means of undoing what went wrong through Adam's family, right? Mm -hmm. And Adam does something that, that separates or creates a separation between him and God, and he hides. What do you have the characters of this story saying over and over again? No one's hiding. They keep saying, in Hebrew, it's hine, behold me. It's, it's translated, here I am. Every, everything right. in this passage is right out in the open. There is no shame going on here. Um, that's huge. Uh, y'all talked about last uh, time when I when I had to uh, be away. Um, y'all mentioned this is the first time in the in the Bible that uh, love is used. Take your son, right. your your only son, uh, your son whom you love. This this corresponds with language that's used uh, not only for. Isaac in the book of Hebrews, this is used for Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus is called uh, the only unique son of God, uh, the monoyenes, single gene, one-of-a-kind son. 
Isaac is not mm-hmm. Abraham's only son, but he is called his monoyenes son in Hebrews, his his only unique, right. his single gene, one of a kind son. Um, uh, God so loved the world that he gave his monoyenes son, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. you see what is happening here is the Abraham story is the world story. Uh, again, and that's not just in my head. All nations are going to be blessed through your offspring because of this thing you've done to obey my voice, right? Um, so so this is huge, and this is setting up such a large trajectory. You already see it in what we've discussed. This is setting up such a large trajectory through the to the New Testament. And this is something because you know I, I, when I got to seminary, I, I focused on Paul for my dissertation, and something stuck out to me. I know we've discussed this. Whenever Paul is navigating how Jew and Gentile can come to faith on the same grounds through faith in Christ without Gentiles having to keep the law, who does he, who does he love to bring into the conversation in Galatians and Romans? He appeals to Abraham. Why? Why? Um, Abraham was called as a Gentile. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Abraham. If Abraham is the first Jew, if he's the father of the Jewish people, then before God calls him, he's a Gentile. So that's that's huge. Um, uh, but what what would Paul say then to the Jews? He says, uh, very well, but even living before the law, Abraham, uh, you know, we talked about how that, that Jewish tradition of the law essentially being an extrapolation of how the patriarchs lived their lives. Right. Um, uh, does... Does does Paul find maybe something else not not just like law fulfillment in Abraham? Does he maybe find like a a pre Christian Christian faith in Abraham? Uh, y- y'all y'all mm-hmm. y'all hinted around this toward the end of that episode. Um, one of my favorite words that gets used three times in this passage is the word translated together. You know, Abraham uh, doesn't just say I'll be back. I, you know, we're gonna go worship. I'll be back. No, he says what. We'll be back. We'll be back. Like this is Terminator 2.0. We'll be back. Um, um, yeah. And it and right after it, it says that they go off at the end of verse six, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them yakdav together. Uh, mm. three three times. Uh, twice before. Uh, so fast forward again to verse eight. Abraham said, "God will provide." Literally, see to for himself the lamb for a burnt offering my son my son so they went both of them yaktav together uh and then after everything's said and done you know abraham raises the knife to slay his son his one-of-a-kind son his son whom he loves and the lord stays his hand and at the end of this thing it's not just abraham coming back what it's the two of them coming back at the end of 19 so abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went Yakdav together to Beersheba, which we talked about a few weeks ago, the significance of Beersheba. Um, how in the world can Abraham say, we'll be back? Right, it's fate. Yeah, and like, in other words, it's, it's not that he doesn't take God seriously. It's not that, you know, in other words, it's not like, oh, God, you wouldn't let me kill my son. You get no indicator of that, uh, you know, no indicator of that. You don't get you don't get a, uh, you know, a cavalier. Oh, this is just going to play out PG. You know, uh, th- 
God's called him to slay his son. How can Abraham make that trek up the mountain? Where where is right. where is the Abraham who says, you know, is Eliezer of Damascus going to be my descendant? <laughs> right. Where where's the Abraham who's trying to keep Lot in the fold? Where where where's the you, you see what I'm saying? How how can Abraham make that trek? Um, right. We touched on it a little bit last time um, when Gandalf was here, is talking about believing that God could raise him from the dead. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, that he Abraham reasoned that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. He was like, <laughs> what one of the things that that says about our story is Abraham really didn't know whether or not he was going to sacrifice Isaac because he was reasoning, Hey, God could raise him from the dead. Uh, Hebrews eleven nineteen, just to remind here, us, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And here's my question. How can Abraham believe that, that this was, this was a thing that I thought about for a long time and then it clicked. And I felt like it should have been obvious, but it obviously hadn't been obvious because it didn't click right away. How can Abraham have resurrection faith hmm. 2,000 years before Jesus? That This is the question. And one day, uh, this is how my, like, my dissertation topic came into my head or heart. Uh, I was reading through Romans 1 through 5, um, and uh, I was reading the latter part of Romans 4, and it finally clicked for me. Um, that is why this is Romans four sixteen following. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. Here it is, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as did literally in Greek, nenekromenos, having already been put to death since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong. Literally, he was enabled. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's the verb form of the word from which we get dynamis, you know, power. He was enabled in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that what God, that God was able to do, that God was powerful, dinatos, you can hear it, that God was able to do what he had promised. Here's the catch. How can Abraham be sure that God is, number one, powerful enough, and number two, faithful enough for Isaac to come down that mountain alive, even if Abraham kills him? Answer for me, if God were not that powerful enough or that faithful enough, Abraham wouldn't have Isaac in the first place. That's it. it and I think it's also is that Abraham was not asked to go up on that mountain in Genesis 15. That's it, brother. Oh, Genesis my gosh. 22. Preach. Testify. <laughs> we didn't just pop there. We get here over time. And one of the things I was saying 
earlier on about the Mel Gibson movie. Did you ever see that Mel Gibson movie? Oh gosh, it's grisly. Uh, I saw it years ago. It's called Apocalypto. I did not. It's been a long time. Well, I thought you were going to say Braveheart, and I was going Freedom. <laughs> That's right. Well, it, it's a it's a movie uh, about uh, just the life. It, it's gosh, it's been well over a decade since I've seen that seen this, but it's a grisly movie about this guy's life in South American culture pre um colonialism in fact the movie climaxes the you know the the conquistadors the europeans yeah the conquistadors landing on the shore but it's it's there's human sacrifice in there where they're like sacrificing all these people and the war captives and stuff like that it is just very grisly and it's just in a world where this took place you made this point before we started recording Human sacrifice is repulsive to us, but I guarantee you they were engaging in human sacrifice just down the road from where Abraham was doing this. Like in the ancient world, people did sacrifice their children. So -hmm. this is not something that Abraham has never heard of, so to speak. This is unique for God asking for this, but it's important to see that God stayed his hand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, but, and again, I, you, but you, I, I, I was thinking of like Richard Dawkins, uh, and just, you know, his, oh yeah. What, what kind others. of, what kind of God would, would call Abraham to do such a thing? Uh, and, right. and this, and, and that's the catch of this passage. Abraham is a person of faith, knows exactly what kind of God he's dealing with. It's the kind of God that, that gave yeah, him. That's a, a, it's the kind of God that gave him. And this is, this is, you know, we, we keep punting forward to Hebrews. And I think this is what Hebrews 11 and 12 is doing on a bigger scale. Like, because Abraham is in a different place after having walked with God by faith for decades than he was in Genesis 12 and 15, right? Like, it wasn't right. that he it wasn't that he didn't believe in Genesis 15. That's the first instance of faith being used in the Bible. Right. But I we did I did see one of our reviews which says uh that we talk about Lord of the Rings way too much. Um I get that. I get <laughs> or not they or they didn't say way too much, just we, a lot, and it's lost on someone who's not into Lord. That's of the Rings. hilarious. That's primarily um, you and Gandalf. Um, <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> it's just as much you. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, the Gandalf character character in uh, Lord of the Rings, just looking at the movie part in part two, the two towers, when he goes into Rohan to meet with the king. And this is after Gandalf has died in the first movie and has gone into the afterlife and he has come back Aww. from the other side yeah, to rescue humanity. And he's having to argue now with this character called Grimer. And he's arguing with this character and he says, listen, I've not passed through like fire and water and death to be exchanging, you know, uh, or conversing and arguing with you know, basically you, this little like mindless twit or something like that. I can't, it, you I, cretin. I, that's not the actual what now you cretin. Yeah, that's right. Well, so I, I think though for me personally, Nathan is, is when I think about just, uh, we just recently, uh, remembered the home going of my son, uh, Judah. It's been five years since yeah. he passed away. That's, that's for the, me same, personally, the same day as our anniversary. That's right. Um, but for me personally, and other things have happened since then, and they've been hard. But now five years and 
I do not wish that on anybody, nor do I want to lose another child. I, I don't want to experience any more trauma or pain for the rest of my life. I, 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 th I feel like I've had my fill. I'm sure there will be more, but God forbid, I'm not asking for it. But the trauma that we face now is way different than the trauma we faced in those earlier days because we have seen God provide even on dark days for our souls and carry us through very traumatic and at times unspeakably hard things. Mm. And I think about this story of what you're, what you're saying is how can Abraham say this stuff? How is he just okay? How is he so confident that, that God is going to do this? Where is the Abraham of Genesis 18 questioning God with Sodom and Gomorrah? Like, is this really a good idea? What if there are 50 righteous? Why, why is Abraham not saying, well, God, he's, you know, he's a really good kid. God, I mean, I've only like, got, I've only got the one. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Ishmael, uh, Ishmael's it, been sent away. That's uh, right. And, it, and so it's, it's, go ahead. yeah, it's the trauma you would never want is precisely the grounds by which God develops the trust on which you will eventually rely Right. Um, and James gets to that in the most, probably the most famous verse in all of James. Uh, it's right there at the beginning of his epistle. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of varying kinds, for it is the testing of your faith which develops perseverance. Mm. And we're seeing this played out narratively right here in the middle of the story. Like Abraham's got some calluses at this point. He's not just got calluses, man. He's got some real joy of knowing what it means to go there and come back he, again he, because God has delivered. Yeah. A, a guy. In, a, in other words, Abraham can have in some sense, resurrection faith going up that mountain to offer a sacrifice because God has already shown him resurrection power and faithfulness in enabling his body and Sarah's womb to have Isaac. Um, and yeah. again, I keep going to Hebrews because what happens if you, what happens if you don't just do that with Abraham's life? What happens if you take all these stories? This is Hebrews 11. What happens if you take all these stories from the old Testament, some of which we see the resolution for like Abraham and some of which we don't really see a resolution for like Abel, the first example that Hebrews sure. 11 uses. And what happens if you stretch them all out where it's not just the development in Abraham's story, it's the whole Old Testament together, and then you say all of this all along was leading to Jesus. And Jesus speaking. Go ahead. Finish that thought. Finish that thought yeah. and say something. Uh, and, 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 and God allows the very worst thing to happen to Jesus. You know, I think of Paul in Romans 8.31. Uh, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who will be against us? How do we know? He almost directly quotes Genesis 22. In, in Genesis 22, right. Abraham gets a double affirmation. You did not withhold your only son from me. In Romans 8.32, God says of, uh, I mean, excuse me, Paul says of God, for he did not withhold his only son from us. God gives to the seed of Abraham what he never required from Abraham's seed. Uh, for he has not withheld his only son from us. How will he not also then in Christ grant us everything? 
that's that's the development that faith comes to see more and more over time. It's the it's the Augustine thing. Do not understand in order that you may believe. Believe in order that you may understand. Mm, that's good, man. Uh, not to overread and eisegete into the text and see Jesus everywhere in here, but man, there are definitely things that you can attach to the idea that this is in some way pointing forward. I think of a couple things. Verse number four, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and Aww. saw the place from afar. That's one. Also, another uh, one. By the way, J.R.R. Fact- Tolkien latched onto that one too. <laughs> that's right. Look to the east. Look, um, <laughs> look to the east. <laughs> that's right. Uh, the first also, on the third day. The, uh, the uh the mountain they're on the mountain this is mount moriah this is where the temple is going to be this is jerusalem this is jerusalem ding, ding, ding. this is taking place a- absolutely and um uh also another thing is that there is a ram a substitute with its head caught in a thicket caught in thorns of all things that becomes the substitute here how about that um there, there's just, um, man, I, I don't want to ignore what's happening here in Genesis and just immediately leap to Jesus, but ultimately it does. And Jesus becomes that place on the mountain where God did not stay his hand. Uh, and, and it's provided there and it's provided for everyone. So And uh, and this is, you know, and this is not to end on a too simplistic a note, but eventually uh, as a pastor or as a Christian, everyone goes through trauma. Um, you know, Matt, when you wrote a little bit about what the past several years have looked like for y'all, I I shared your post and I said, "Matt knows things about trauma that I never want to learn." <laughs> hmm. Um, but when you are making sense of things that don't make sense, there is there is some comfort if there's comfort to be had in the god who doesn't stay his hand against jesus it means that god does not exempt himself from the problem of evil and suffering he enters into it god knows what it means to suffer he knows what it means to suffer unjustly and god has shown us in jesus that he's capable of using even the worst suffering and even the most unjust suffering redemptively not just for the sufferer for their vindication Uh, but for the redemption of those around the sufferer. Well, there's two ways of destroying evil, by execution or substitution. You can kill the evil itself, or you can become the substitute sacrifice to restore those who've been overcome by evil. And if God chose the first path, if all we had was the, the flood account, and that's how God deals with all evil, then we're never getting back to the garden. It's all, we're hopelessly lost. Uh, but it's the substitution. This is this is one of those first things here. This substitution person in the place of uh, that's going to echo throughout the rest of the story. And uh, it's obviously if God decided to deal with evil uh, proactively, we're all dead uh, in, in just in a judgment fashion. But the fact that he's done it through substitution, man, this is how the whole world gets blessed. Mm. Amen. Uh, So let me channel my inner Gandalf 
And though Jesus is the substitute for your sins, there is no one who substitutes for you as a subscriber to the Better Than Fiction <laughs> Bible Podcast. So, so please like, subscribe, click the star or the check mark, and be sure to write a written review and tell your friends uh, so that we can continue to get word out about the show. All right. Well, very good. Well, hey, thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. Shalom. I have not passed so far in death to bandy crooked words with a witless worm.